Horror levels. I don't know. Ted Bundy tapes one. People talking about how great and amazing Ted Bundy was. Ugh. It's <laughs> first line of my notes, all in caps. Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Heinz. before we get to the episode you guys thank you so much for the reviews on Apple Podcasts keep them coming yeah thank you you guys I'll say it until I'm dead the thing that's so valuable about the reviews on Apple Podcasts iTunes whatever it is Mm -hmm. it lets you tell the world what you like about our podcast we are making a weird fun unique podcast some people like my voice some people hate it if you like my squeal tell the world yeah if you like Jillian's sass let them know okay You're screaming at me right now. <laughs> we are obsessed with your reviews. Please, I cry reading them. Oh, my God. Mostly for good reasons. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> Every once in a while. Uh, you guys, if you're coming to CrimeCon, use our code OBSESSED19. Ooh. We'll see you there. Okay. Uh, on that front, if you want to see us live, the last show we have tickets for for sale for right now is our Pride show. In June. In June. June 29th, Saturday night, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Come on. It's not just for gays anymore. Yeah. Ooh. Thank you. You felt all warmed up for I our did. show. <laughs> you guys, straighties, welcome. Come to our Pride show, Gays, Straights. It's going to be a party. We're getting Wh- drag queens. Whoever you are, you're everyone's welcome. That's the point. Exactly. Hello. Hello. God. Um, you guys, I'm doing four Pride tours on the Saturday morning of the show. So if you want to get on one of these Pride tours where we're going to tour Stonewall, and we're going to go to all the cool old school gay uh, haunts down in the village. And it's not going to be just gay stuff. I'm going to, like, on the little tour, I'm going to show you, like, just cool old things in New York that Mm. you maybe know about or maybe you don't. Yeah. Here's what we're doing. Space is limited. I want to take everybody, but space is limited. Get your tickets to the Pride show by April 29th. And then everybody who's bought a ticket by that date, we're going to send an email out. We're going to see how many people want to come. Right. And we're going to figure it out from there. If more people want to come on the tours than we have availability for, we'll do a lottery or something. We'll figure out a way to make it fair. Yeah. Uh, But get your tickets, and then we'll send you an email in April. Yeah. Lastly, you guys, Patreon. We are officially into Making a Murderer Season 2. You guys, you hear that? I know. TikTok. Zellner O'Clock. It's here. She... Fierce right out of the gate, in case you were wondering. I, She is so amazing in this. Yeah, she's excellent. She drives into the episode in a RAV4, you guys. She's she, like, it took me four seconds to realize I need to just own the same car as Teresa. Why did anybody else do this? Uh, that's how it starts. You guys, you get complete episode-by-episode episode coverage of The Jinx, The Staircase. Serial. Serial, Making a Murderer. All of our mini-episodes are extended outtakes. It's all commercial-free. Yeah, our randos, like Queen of Versailles and Madonna's, Madonna's Truth or Dare. Dare. Yeah. You get them all. Well, the second you sign up, mm-hmm. you get like a, it's another whole TCL podcast. Yeah. It really, it's like if you want more, it's right there for you. We love you guys. We love you. Are we ready to get to this? Um, no, but let's do it. <laughs> Girl, Girl. What are we talking about today? Just arguably one of the worst people I've ever heard about. Yeah. Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> but are you saying that because he's a Republican? Well... <laughs> Just kidding, Republicans. We love. I love that we have like Republicans and some conservatives who listen to our yeah, podcast. They're not all like Ted Bundy, everybody. No. <laughs> oh my goodness, girl! I knew nothing about Ted Bundy. Look, nothing. I didn't either. I knew the basics. I knew that there was this like allegedly handsome, allegedly charming guy. That's who the extent of what I knew. Was murdering college-aged women. He murdered a lot of people. Yeah, but then <laughs> I like all of this talk. Like Netflix had to be like, excuse me. Remember when Netflix you... scolded people? Like stop talking about. How hot he is, and I've only seen a couple of those pictures, and he always looks creepy to me. Like I, know. I never thought he was good looking. I'm just like, what? So then when we watch it and we're listening to him speak and we can see video of him, I'm like, this this bitch? I know. This is who everyone's fucking fawning over. Also, he's a murderer. <laughs> he brutally <laughs> raped and murdered women. I know. I know. He's garbage. He's, Where's the thing? He's ugly from within. <laughs> and actually on the outside, I'm like, him? I know. Usually I say it doesn't matter, but in this case, it absolutely does. Thank you, Hero Bell. <laughs> I was worried. No, I know better. I'm, look, I, I can't handle you and Netflix yelling at me. Look, we're in cahoots, <laughs> truth be told. He didn't look like anybody's notion of somebody who would tear apart young girls. My name is Ted Bundy. I've never spoken to anybody about this. I am looking for an opportunity to tell the story as best I can. A person of this type chooses his big for a reason. Possession, control, violence. There was something unique about Ted's brain. 
He talked in terms of a voice in his head, and this voice would start saying things about women. He had very blue eyes. When he really got going, his eyes went absolutely black. Murder leaving a person of this type hungry, unfulfilled, would also leave him with the obviously irrational belief that, he, that the next time he did it, he would be fulfilled. And the next time he did it, he would be fulfilled. Or the next time he did it, he would be fulfilled. Theodore Bundy has escaped, suspected of dozens of sex killings in Washington State, Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. I think things are going to work out. That's about all I can say. Bundy is acting as his own lawyer. What is unusual to see is that many of the onlookers are women. Are you a little scared when you look at him? He just doesn't look like the type to kill somebody. Serial killer Theodore Bundy has escaped once again. One of the FBI's most wanted men. He was charming, good-looking, smart. Are you sure you have the right guy? Uh, all right. Do you want to get us started? Yeah. So we learn from basically every documentary about the 70s. It was a really angry time. <laughs> Riots, fear, crime, violence. Inflation. Vietnam. Watergate. Iran. Demonstrations and riots. The ripoff. The scam. The hustle. The cheat. In the 70s, there is fear. Fear of crime in the streets. We get these statistics where it's like murder was up 62%. Rape was up 100 and 12%. That is unbelievable. I was like, what? I know. But here's the thing. Serial killers were new. Like, Manson was arrested in 71. The Son of Sam was happening in New York in 76, 77. The Hillside Strangler in 77. The Zodiac went into the 70s. John Wayne Gacy, goddammit. <laughs> that freaking clown costume. I can't. He doesn't even look adorable in it. Clowns? <laughs> John Wayne Gacy, or no, are just horrifying. You guys, Gates can be serial killers too, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Come to our Pride show. Yes. <laughs> okay, the framing device of this documentary is Stephen Michaud, I think is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. He was like this sort of young reporter back in 1980. He gets an offer from his like agent slash publisher. My agent had come to me saying that Ted Bundy, famous serial killer, had sent a message out that he was willing to speak exclusively with the journalist in exchange for a re-examination of all the cases against him, which he said would prove that he was innocent. Ted Bundy will tell his story. If in exchange for that, this guy will help exonerate Ted Bundy, who's insisting he's innocent. Right. Ted Bundy is on death row. It's 1980. (laughs) Like, it's over, sweetheart. It's done. You're going to that goddamn electric chair. It's just happening. So sorry. But, like, this is just the... Right... We're just immediately with the privilege. Like, Ted Bundy, like, can make a phone call to some literary agent and make this deal. And then it's like, okay, sir. Right. right, I know. But Stephen, our our narrator and and guy who does this interview, he's on the tapes with Ted Bundy. He recruits his friend Hugh Ainsworth, remember, from Oswald's Ghost? I was wondering. I was like, I know that name. Yeah. Ah, okay. That's who he is. Yeah. So basically, Hugh is like out in the field (laughs) re-examining these cases that we know about. You're going to the electric chair. And then that Steve- sounds like a horrible way to die, by the way. Well, Ted Bundy's a horrible piece of shit. So suddenly I'm like, <laughs> me, like Miss Anti-Death Penalty. I'm just like, well, Same, hold I know. on a second here. It's like hearing about swimming with pigs and fire fraud. Hold on. We reached an agreement to cooperate with Ted on a book. So Hugh took off for the West Coast to reinvestigate the cases. And I went to Florida with my tape recorder. So then, like, our friend Stephen goes to the Florida State Prison, like, takes the elevator or whatever up to death row and goes to, like, the conference room. And Ted Bundy is just, like, shackled and shuffles his way in. I know. It's so crazy. I had known Ted from newspaper articles, a lot of television, the mystery of the aura of the most infamous accused mass killer in the country. Now, we were face-to-face, the two of us in the same room, and there was nothing besides his belly chain and his death row clothes to tell you that Ted was anything other than just a regular guy in his early 30s who was there talking over a business deal. So they record, they record like 100 hours of conversation in six months. I thought, honestly, this was going to be from like one afternoon, and that was it. 100 hours. 100 hours. That's crazy. I understood from that meeting that I was there to take down Ted's story the story that he wanted to tell. 
people perceive me differently from how I perceive myself. And I need to give others a chance to know what was really going on, what it was really like for me. All right, we're here. April 1974. Yeah. And we learn about Linda Ann Healy. Yep. You guys, I have so many questions. I have not watched the second two episodes of this. I don't know if these questions get answered. So this woman, Linda Ann Healy, she's 21 years old. She goes to the University of Washington. Mm-hmm. And she, like, disappeared from her apartment one night after midnight. Now, here's the thing. Before she disappeared, she was just chilling with her roommates. I was in my room studying late, probably until about almost 2 and she came in at about 11.30 into my room and, and spoke with me then. And she seemed in a really pretty happy mood. And then she said she was going to bed, and that was about 12. I don't understand. I don't either. She went into her bedroom, closed the door, mm-hmm. and, like, the next day she's just gone. Yeah, her bed was still, was, like, made nicely, which and there was, like, creeped me out. some blood on the bed yeah. by the pillow. Yeah. According to her roommate, her alarm went off on time Friday morning at 5.30. But her roommate says Linda wasn't in her room and she never showed up for work. First of all, we find out that she like worked on the local news where she was like the ski reporter. Yeah, she was like the the weather reporter and ski person. So Hero Bell, Detective Kathleen. I love Detective Kathleen. Obsessed. So she was <laughs> she on this like case. She a million bucks, by the way. She's amazing. She looks great. Um, So she was on this case from back in the day and we're talking to her now and yeah. I love her. And she was like a woman on the case and she's I amazing. Um. <laughs> But she was like, and I recall when she had gone missing because Linda was the weather person and the ski report person for a local radio station, a very popular station, that I happened to listen to every day to see if I wanted to go skiing that day. You know, like those local news yeah. people, you're just like, you know that. Somebody says, like, I would listen to her to find out if I wanted to go skiing that right. day. That's a thing that happens where, like, you can just, like, go skiing in, like, an, for an afternoon. Yeah, Toto, we're not in New York City anymore. <laughs> and the thing is, she was super dependable. She was there every day. That was her job. But they were actually talking about it on the radio. They were like, uh, oh, Linda must be sick today. It was yeah. so weird that she wasn't there and didn't say anything that they were like, oh, she must be under the weather or overslept or something. Like, we'll see you soon, Linda. I do not understand what happened. Like, was the window broken? Was, like, I don't understand how somebody just disappears from their room. And you don't hear some kind of a struggle or something right. happening in that. And that's what makes it scarier, right? Because you're like, yeah. wait, how? Wait, that's so this a- could happen to me in the next room and no one can know about it? Awesome. It's literally a boogeyman. I'm never leaving my house again. I know. We did not know anything about where she went. Nor had anyone else had any knowledge about where she went. Uh, we have very few leads in the disappearance of Linda uh, Healy. Although since the last time uh, that we've made a press release on this, we have interviewed 65 people. We couldn't do anything but sit and man a telephone. It was pretty bad. No one had any idea where she was. 65 people. Like nobody saw anything. I know. So now we're back in modern modern day 1980, and Stephen, the reporter, is asking Ted about Linda Ann Healy. Ted's like, I don't really want to talk about that because the whole thing was that it was kind of presented to these to this reporter, Stephen, that Ted Bundy was like, "Look, I'll spill the tea on all of this horrible shit I did, only if you go back and reexamine." Like, it didn't even make any sense to begin right, with. Like, I'm gonna, I'll tell you about all these murders as long as you help me prove I didn't do it. Exactly, a hundred percent. So they were like, "Okay," and so they go. <laughs> And then he, okay. yeah. And then guess what? Spoiler. He's just like, I don't feel like it today. I'm not in the mood. And then so Stephen's like, you guys, I was duped by Ted Bundy. Turns out he just wanted like a celebrity biography on himself. Oh my god! And then we get this audio of Ted, like he was just like speaking like in narrative, where he's like, boyhood on Crescent Street was not an unpleasant one. <laughs> I was a champion frog catcher. <laughs> They called me Ted the Frogman, and it was I was quite lovely. I remember those days of roaming with my friends, the, the adventure, the exploration. And Stephen's like, but you're raped to kill those women, <laughs> right. and we have to get to the bottom of it. I you're know. a serial killer. Not so- an unpleasant one, he says. Give me a fucking break. He's a, he's a bad writer, too. Right. God. <laughs> So we meet Sandy Holt. We are told that she's a childhood friend. Yeah, like her brother, her older brother was friends with Ted and she was just like around. And this is like interesting information. We find out that like, you know, she tells us that there was like the right side of the tracks and the wrong side of the tracks. Right, which one do you think Ted was from? (laughs) Ted's family were in the have not group, but they could have not been more beaver cleaver if they'd tried. His mom worked as a secretary. 
Mr. Bundy was a really good dad. They were a good family. Yeah, like, according to her, like, he was poor, but his family was, like, totally normal, super involved parents, church activities, like, nothing out of the ordinary at all. But then she's like, but Ted was a little different now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about yeah. it. Linda, girl, please. He just pick didn't up a fit in. Yeah. Yeah, so... Give <laughs> a newspaper, sweetheart. God. So she tells... The thing about childhood... Is that it's awful? Uh-huh. I was I was hoping in my head I said it's awful because she tells us like look there are definitely some things that I relate to Ted Bundy about thick glorious head of hair mm-hmm. glasses Ugh. thin uh-huh. beyond that yes it's the whole idea that this poor kid was like sent away to like Boy Scout camp mm-hmm. and he couldn't do any of the stuff he just couldn't quite get the hang of doing the things the other kids were doing couldn't tie the knots right. Couldn't shoot the gun right. Couldn't win the races. Why is it always a knot? Why know. is tying knots so goddamn important? As the Boy Scouts, girl. But he couldn't tie the knots. He couldn't do the gun right. Guess oh. who figured that part out? Mm. Like right. you know, it's that thing where he was like slow and dopey and like didn't like being at Boy Scout camp, and it's and it's awful. And so Linda tells us that like he had a temper and he would do yeah. this thing and he liked to scare people. This is not what scaring people is. No, this is horrifying. Yeah, so he would build these things called tiger traps, which they used in freaking Vietnam. Right, yes. Okay, These are. this is horrifying. So he would dig a hole, yeah. fill it with sharp spikes, then cover it up with leaves to hide it, uh, and then like chase girls uh, so that they would run over it and fall into it and then slash their legs open with the spikes. That's not scaring people. No, that's actually torturing and almost killing people. Yeah. And one little girl went over the top of one of Ted's tiger traps and got the whole side of her leg slit open with the sharpened point of the stick that she landed on. At that point, why isn't somebody saying, like, wait, let's sit down with this kid and figure out what his deal is? Yeah, where are the little girl's parents? Right. Like, little Susie, who's You know what her, her name wasn't? Daisy Divinites. Yeah. <laughs> One zillion percent. Well, it was probably, I don't know, it was the 70s, but they were probably like, you can't play with that boy anymore. The end. You're totally right about that. Yeah, you, the That end. little sissy who can't figure out the knots? Yeah. Get away from him, Sally. Yeah, come on. And then we get this woman, Linda, telling us about what Ted was like in high school, but then we also hear Ted telling us what he was like in high school. Right. And everything that Linda is saying Ted wasn't, Ted is saying that he was. Right. Like, you know, no one ever really got close to him. Yeah. And then she goes, this made me crazy. She's like, Ted never dated, which is a real shame because he was so handsome. I was like, enough. I know. I know. Enough. It's true. Why and- are you being interviewed about Ted Bundy, Linda? <laughs> Tell me why. Because he's a serial killer. What do you think this documentary is about? Linda. I know. <laughs> it's a real shame. No. Women's lives were saved because he didn't date them. I know. Get the fuck out of here with that, you guys. I told you this is going to be a real angry one. So now it's June 1974. George Ann Hawkins goes missing. Mm-hmm. Same area as Linda. And she just disappeared out of thin air. Four blocks away. She was at a sorority or fraternity house. They say like Theta or Omega or something. Yeah. Oh, God. Those are words that just like chill the spine. Ooh, I know. <laughs> I know. And she was walking home. Like she lived half a block from this house. She just disappears in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly like Linda. You know what the police's big advice is? Meanwhile, they're asking the girls to stay out of the alleys and travel in groups of twos or threes and use only the front doors. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, cops. Thanks. So now, yeah, the the students, the girls in particular, are being told, just live in fear. And I'm like, hey, guess what? As women, we do that anyway, sweetheart. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Death row is not pleasant, and it's hard to be a woman. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now we're back in 1980 with Stephen, the journalist, trying to get Ted to talk about the Hawkins case. And Ted's basically, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Guiding the conversation with Ted was a challenge. I started trying to push him into more substantive areas, and he just kept bobbing and weaving. He wanted to talk about everything but the cases against him. Okay, so then we meet this guy, Marlon Lee Vortman. This girl's a hoot and a half. <laughs> yeah, still, like, really didn't grasp the fact that he was friends with Ted Bundy, the serial killer. Ted always fit in wherever he was at. We would go to functions where there'd be some very influential people there. And uh, Ted could always strike up a dialogue. These people uh, accepted him. He was a very nice person. I honestly think that nobody told these people that, no, no, we're talking about Ted Bundy, the serial killer. Right. Yeah, not the kooky guy who likes your car. (laughs) Which we'll get into. Again, like, Marlon, we're here interviewing you for this documentary. What do you think this documentary is about? Yeah, I feel like, oh, Ted, yeah, God, I guess we fell out of touch around (laughs) 1980. (laughs) But, uh, like, what? He has 
no idea. And this is where Marlon goes. He was the kind of guy you'd want your sister to marry. Sweetheart. I, <laughs> you still say that now? Like, he doesn't even say it with any air of like, well, I thought that. But I good, know. Thank goodness it didn't happen. It's just he thinks about it like, my good friend Ted. Right. Can what you track I, him down? Whatever happened to that guy? Whatever happened to that guy? I guess it was around 1980. I'm like, what? Yeah, so Ted Bundy decides he wants to go into politics. And this guy, Marvin, was working on the Dan Evans campaign. Yeah, so Ted Bundy was a Nixon Republican. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, I just like had to reach right, right for the bell. I thought there was another bell. That you because you move so fast. I was like, what? <laughs> if I have to watch one more goddamn image of Nixon with those two fingers, I know I I'm can't not a crook. stand I it. Can't. Yes, you are, sweetheart. You are a crook. Um, oh. So then it's like Ted Bundy. Like I've always been anti-union and anti-boycott, and I <laughs> I wasn't too fond of criminal conduct. Well, girl, girl, and he became like a political spy. Ted's job with the governor's campaign was to attend all of the events that Rosalini had. The other side, a Democrat running against Governor Evans, and write down what Rosalini said to use it against him. And he gets busted taking notes on this guy's positions so that in debates, Dan Evans would know what to be ready for. So they find this news footage of him after this like minor scandal of him being like a political spy or whatever. Right. It's just like this news reporter standing next to Ted Bundy. He says his name. Ted Bundy serial killer. It's hard for me to believe that what I did is newsworthy. My part in the campaign was so insignificant. I'm embarrassed that I should be getting this publicity from it. Uh, Really embarrassed. (laughs) It's just so crazy. Like if you're that reporter and you ever look back at that footage do you show that at every single party you guys get over here get in the den remember that time i talked to ted bunny serial (laughs) and so i thought this was a weird fact until this comes back later it come it continues to come back yeah marlon tells us that ted really liked his car his car was a volkswagen beetle like those little bugs right those punch buggy things yeah and this horrible like mustard brown (laughs) color But Ted Bundy became obsessed with it. It had like a handle by the window that Ted really loved. Which is a weird fact to remember. This guy, Marlon, can't remember that Ted Bundy's a serial killer, Uh but he can remember that he really liked the crash bar. Yeah, Ted Bundy's the guy who got away because he didn't marry his sister. (laughs) (laughs) So Ted gets the same car. And then Marlon went to law school. Ted had to go to law school. Exactly. Oh, okay. Which is very like single way female-y. Marlon is watching this at home. Hey, honey, my, my show is on. Did that you show get... about my old friend that I used to tell you about. Get the popcorn and the iced tea. Here it comes. We should have him over for dinner. Marlon is horrified watching what happened. He what? He did, <laughs> he did what? All right. So now, you guys, it's June 1974. Four other women have also gone missing from, like, the same block. Nearly every month in and around Seattle, a young woman disappeared. Gail Manson disappeared from the Evergreen State College campus near Olympia. Susan Rancourt disappeared from the campus of Central Washington State College in Ellensburg. Roberta Kathleen Parks disappeared from the Oregon State University campus at Corvallis. 22-year-old Brenda Ball of Seattle, who was last seen at a tavern in Burien, so now Seattle is terrified. <laughs> no one has any ideas or any leads. It's a terrifying... It's like these women are vanishing into thin air. And the cops are just... They're acknowledging that they don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah, and our, our best friend, Detective Kathleen, is like, oh, you know what wasn't lost on me? That every missing woman is basically me. Right. Like, educated, college age, a badass... And can we just say again, there is, like, nobody saw them. There's no witnesses. There's nothing. How? How? I need to know how he did it. So here's something that made me, like, lose my mind. And just, like, how have I not known more about this case? Because now I'm in the rabbit hole, you guys. So Ted Bundy was on the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission. I know. Specifically focusing on crimes against women with a focus on rape. A year or so before the women started disappearing, Ted had a brief job working for the Seattle Crime Commission. It gave him access to a lot of crime statistics. And he saw what the police did and what the police did not do. And he saw all sorts of places where somebody who was smart enough could take advantage of the chaos and the lack of consistency from one jurisdiction to another. This is what we find out in this section, that Ted took this job to see how he could get away with these things. I mean... And there's... I mean, I don't know how it is now. I get the sense it's not much better, but there's the lack of communication between the police departments in jurisdiction to jurisdiction, not even just across state lines. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't share information. Like, shut up and do your job. Don't compete with different... How about we have all these women stop disappearing? Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Boys! Fellas, enough. 
So it is July 14th, 1974. We are at a lake at a state park. Sammamish, I think is how you say it. Yeah. Lake Sammamish. You guys, it looks really fun. So they have like a Dixieland jazz band. I'm so here for it. It's a lovely day at the park. There are lots of events, lots of people, lots of women. Everyone felt safe because it's like no one can make me disappear when there are 40,000 people in the park. Exactly. Except he took two women that day. You guys! He took two women. Denise Nasland and Janice Ott, which brings the grand total to eight women missing. Unbelievable. So they set up a task force. Yeah, they call it 11 guys. I'm like, uh, Kathleen was on that task force. Yeah, and eventually later it's like, well, we needed a female to talk to the other female. So we got Kathleen and I'm like, Kathleen blew the roof off this whole thing. God damn it. With the disappearance of the Ott and the Nasland girls on the same day from the same state park came the first indications that a male subject was involved. There were 40,000 people out here on that day and some of them had been asked by a good-looking young man wearing an arm cast to help load his sailboat on the car in the parking lot beyond. These same witnesses provided information for a police sketch and recalled the man with the cast had asked several young ladies for help that day. They said he was driving a Volkswagen Bug and he was saying, hi, I'm Ted. I know. <laughs> Which is like, sweetheart. Like, but also, if you're going to be seen, you have to know you're going to be seen by a few hundred at least of the 40,000 people. So yeah, he has this cast on, which just makes him more recognizable, don't you think? 100%. It's like, here's that guy wearing, wearing that like mustache and glasses thing so that no one can notice him. Right. Where it just makes you more obvious. Like Leonardo DiCaprio, we see you with the sunglasses and the hat and the scarf. Like the paparazzi, we can see you even more now. Who's that weirdo all bundled up and it's 82 degrees outside? To have a cast on. But you know what this is? It's the just the audacity of the straight, good-looking white man in 1970. Uh, he's not that good-looking. He just thought he could get away with anything because he always did. Remember that time he traced that girl through the woods and she ripped her leg off? Yeah. He didn't even get sent to his room for that. They were like nine. I know. It never occurred to him that he couldn't use his real name. Right. And to fake like, oh, well, he has one arm. Like, what could he possibly do to me? Oh, I'll help him. Let me help this guy. It's also like in a VW bug. It's not like that scene in Silence of the Lambs where he tricks that girl into like getting in the van couch Ugh. first. Remember that? That was that makes me furious. Girl, I love, no. I, I love that actress. Yeah, I love she's her. great. She's great. Um, but I said to Mike today, I was like, just for the record, um, I'm never helping anyone do anything ever again. I, and that I doesn't know. make me rude. That makes me smart. And Listen, he was like, you can't live your life like this. I was like, I'm going to. Our Crime Junkie podcast girls, be rude, be weird, stay alive. Yes. So now we're, it's 1980, which is when Stephen is interviewing Ted Bundy and we have all this audio, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So Stephen's getting frustrated because it's weeks and weeks and weeks. And Ted is just like, it was a warm summer <laughs> afternoon when I was catching frogs. Like, it's just bullshit. Right. Yeah. And so he's refusing to talk about the cases. So now over scotch and cheeseburgers, Stephen has an idea. Yes, girl. His idea is that he needs to get Ted Bundy talking in the third person so that there's some kind of ridiculous idea that there's like a veil between them. And it's not just Ted being like, so here's how I murdered that first person. Right. I go back to the prison the next day and I say, Ted, now we're not getting anywhere, but I have an idea. You know, Ted, you've got a degree in psychology, so you're trained in psychology. You're familiar with the details of the cases. You certainly know what's been in the newspapers. You're intelligent and you're articulate. I think one way to get at this is to turn you into an expert witness. Why don't you tell me what you think happened? Tell me what kind of person would have done this. So they kind of speak to the ego. What did I text you today? That that would totally work on you. This is exactly how they would get me. (laughs) Yeah. You're a genius. You're beautiful. So skinny. Why don't you help? And you'd be like, great. So the first murder happened. It was a crisp fall day. But he fucking falls for it. I know. This dumb bitch. (laughs) He falls for it. He looked at me. There was a brief pause. But then he grabbed my tape recorder and he pulled it to himself and kind of cradled it and started talking into it as if I wasn't even in the room. Steven's like, and off he went. All right, part two. Part two. One of us. You guys, we open with this news report from the 1970s from a march of militant feminists. Yeah. We're, no, no, no. These are just women who want to be treated like human beings. Yeah, it's the women's liberation movement, you guys. Join us now. Sisterhood is powerful. The battle cry of the women's liberation movement rings out down New York's Fifth Avenue as more than 10,000 militant feminists stage a one-day strike for equal rights. 
the idea that a woman who just wants to live her goddamn life is considered a militant feminist. Yeah, and it also they make this connection of like women were trying to like I can hitchhike too and, and trying to like prove that they deserve this respect. Right. And because of that, new crimes against women were popping up. Exactly. Because the men couldn't handle it. Ding. This is, so now we're like we're back at the task force, right? This yes. is when we see it's an it's an eleven person task force. Yes. Kathleen is included. Come on now. And all of the girls that went missing, they're it's like the same person. They're all between the ages of eighteen and twenty one. Four were attending college. They were they looked the same. Yeah. They um they went willingly and left all their personal stuff. Like right? they didn't think they were going anywhere for an extended period of time. Exactly. Again, how did he get her out of her bedroom in the middle of the night? I don't know. How? I don't know. I need to know. Yeah. So now they start because now remember he was going around like hey everybody I'm Ted right me look at me with the cast on (laughs) look at me I'm Ted so now they're like okay let's look for people named Ted well we also had a description of the bug of the of the Volkswagen bug so now that they're cross-referencing the name Ted with people who have these bugs this one guy the one police officer is like do you want to take a guess as to how many VW bugs there were in Seattle at that time 42,000 God love you the 70s he was like that's what we were dealing with here (laughs) we started with literally 1,000 names then we looked at suspects who had maybe the name of Ted, who drove that kind of a car, whom perhaps people had reported as being a little strange. We put all those things together and we narrowed the number of potential offenders down to 100. And I love that she's like, women all the time were calling in to report their boyfriends. I think you should really look into my boyfriend. I'll be right there, honey. Don't tell him it was me, but he's super creepy. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> All right, you guys, so we're at August 8th, 1974. Okay. A woman calls into the task force and literally is like, I think I think you guys might be talking about my boyfriend, Ted. And Kathleen is like, we get this phone call. Hold, what, your boyfriend who? <laughs> She's like, wait, another girl like, creeped out by our boyfriend? Wait, your name's Ted? And, and he's got like a brown VW bug. And he's a creep. And so this woman's name is Elizabeth Klopfer. And then we see like an interview with her. Are you aware that this interview is being taped? Yes. Is it taped with your approval? So she's telling us about these like specific incidents that Ted told her about. Uh, he mentioned an incident about following a sorority girl. He was out late at night and he would follow people like that. But that he'd try not to, but, but he just did it anyway. She found a bag of women's underclothing in his apartment. She found a bowl filled with house keys. A bowl of house keys, which I know. is so creepy. All these trophies, basically. The night of Brenda Ball's disappearance, he had been with her, but like left early. So she's she's connecting the dots. Yeah, and she's like, I was afraid, but not certain. Girl, <laughs> you run. Yeah, Kathleen agrees with you. This guy, Ted, is their prime suspect. Right. But the thing is, that's so frustrating. A couple things that get frustrating. They have a photo of him. And we prepared photo lineups and showed to witnesses who had been at like Sammamish Park. The photograph of Ted Bundy was shown to at least eight witnesses from Lake Sammamish. Seven positively said Ted Bundy was not the mysterious Ted. It was a surprise that they felt that it was not him. So we didn't have definitive identification that this indeed was the person who had committed these crimes. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. And we learn throughout these episodes that he could change his appearance pretty easily or not. I don't know. This definitely gave me pause. Like, maybe it was somebody else. Seven of the eight women said, no, that's not him. Right. There were no fingerprints, no nothing. There's another woman that we'll meet down the road that was attacked by him. And, like, a year later, when they they put him in a photo lineup, she's like, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that one. So, like, if these seven of these eight women are saying it's not him, maybe it really wasn't him. It was totally him. I know. What if I was like, I don't know, maybe Ted Bundy didn't Are you a Ted Bundy apologist? (laughs) I will walk out of this podcast right now. Seven of the eight women, though. I know, I know, I know. Can you imagine, like, the one girl? Christy, Sarah, Rebecca, that's her! That girl would be me! (laughs) That girl is me right now. I'm like, bitch, it was him! I'm like, I don't know. I just Uh, really don't think it was. So now he ups and moves to Utah, September 1974. He goes to Utah for law school, joins the Mormon church, is baptized, and is basically living a double life where he's a rapist and a murderer and a Mormon. But also, this is one of the, he's putting into practice one of the things he learned in that task force. 
Right. Which was that, like, if you go to another state, no one's ever going to connect the murders. There's, and we'll get in more into this later. The states don't share information. Right. He can keep going and raping and killing in Utah and then move on from there to somewhere else. Okay, we have to talk about Carol because I love her. She's like a major figure in this whole thing. And a hero. Yeah. So she's a Mormon. She's living in Utah. She tells us how she was like, I was kind of living my best life right. at this time. Totally. She had a Camaro. Her boyfriend had a Camaro. Her vanity plate said Camaro. <laughs> She's really, she's like, everything was kind of freaking great, you guys. Oh, my God. Everything was awesome until it wasn't. That's, right. That's the story, right? Put a pin in Carol, because all of a sudden, women in Utah start going missing. Right. Melissa Smith, who is the police chief's daughter. Yeah, she's found, like, beaten and strangled. Right. Nancy Wilcox, body never found. Laura Amy, she's later found in the mountains, bludgeoned. People were very, very worried. The number of missing and dead girls was certainly an unusual occurrence. We didn't connect our cases to the missing girls in the Seattle area. You wouldn't ever think in your wildest dreams there was a serial killer in the community. So now we have two states terrified. Washington and Utah, they're all just petrified in fear. Exactly. Great. So now we're back to Carol with the Camaro. Yeah, November 8th, 1974. She's like, kind of bored. Let's just go to the mall. (laughs) It's just so normal teenager thing to do. Yeah. She just goes to the mall on a Friday night. She's like at the bookstore. She's hanging out. Right. So this air quotes police officer approaches her and just says, hey, someone was trying to break into your car. He was polite. He asked me if I wanted to come out to the car with him and see if anything was missing. So we got out to my car, and I could see in the car that nothing was missing. And he kept leaning forward like he wanted me to look further in the car, but I wouldn't. I just said, nothing's missing. Carol is not falling for this. Carol's, like, instincts are, they've gone straight up. Yeah, well, first she asked the guy for ID. He has it. Which is just so terrifying. Yeah, and the thing is, hindsight is twenty twenty. The yeah. guy has the ID, but it's like, how the hell would he know that that's her car? I know. And so, like, like just ladies, everybody, listen to your instincts. Yes, He's, don't go anywhere. It, it's one of those things where she knows something's not right, but then she agrees to get in his car. So right. she gets in to the VW Bug, and she's like, thought it was kind of weird, but maybe he was undercover. <laughs> right. He had a down a side street. And then he suddenly pulled over up on the side of a curb by an elementary school. And that's when I just started freaking out. What are we doing? And he grabbed my arm and he got one handcuff on one wrist and he didn't get the other one on. And the one was just dangling. I had never been so frightened in my entire life. Carol, every instinct, every, like, she could lift a car off a off her baby right now. Yeah, yeah. The strength that she has, the adrenaline kicks in. She is literally fighting for her life. She's like, my nails were ripped off. She, like, mauled him to shit. She's a hero. <laughs> she beat the shit out of him. She did. He pulls out a crowbar. They're fighting out on the streets. <laughs> She's like, not fucking today, bitch. <laughs> Fuck you, Ted Bundy. Not today. Who the fuck do you think you're dealing with? She's like, I remember his beady, blank, lifeless eyes, and then I punched both of them. I just love her. At that time, a car started coming the other direction, and that's when I broke loose and ran to the car. I flew open their doors and jumped in on them and uh, said, take me to the police station. I was just hysterical. And then she says she found out later that Ted Bundy was so mad that she got away from him that four hours later he had to go kill somebody else. Deborah Kent. Yeah, and he abducted her. She was just trying to see a high school play. Yeah. She's at like a high school parking lot. She gets abducted. He takes her and kills her. Well, you know why we know this? Why? Because they found the key in the parking lot and the key matched the handcuffs that Carol was still wearing because she fought him off (laughs) while she had one little handcuff thing on. It's so insane. Like, these people are so bad bad at this how did he get away with it over and over and over again yeah you know why and i've seen this all over twitter and facebook because he was a white guy yeah because no one every all the everyone in authority was like there's no way that dude who looks like me could do this there's no one hundred percent so now it's march 5th 1975 and there's a group of student foresters i was like that's the most like pacific northwest thing i've ever heard yeah but they find basically like his dump site yes remains of six missing girls were found at the same site the skeletal remains of 21-year-old Linda Ann Healy, 22-year-old Brenda Ball of Seattle, 18-year-old Susan Elaine Rancourt of Anchorage, Alaska, and 20-year-old Roberta Kathleen Parks from Lafayette, California. Just a few miles away from the place where those four were found, 
police identified two other murdered girls. These two disappeared from the same place, Lake Sammamish State Park. They were 23-year-old Janice Ott and 18-year-old Denise Nasland. So now police are realizing that they're all killed by the same person, obviously. Right. So now we're just in Colorado because women are missing there too. Karen Campbell sat with her fiancé, Dr. Raymond Godowski, in front of a fire in the lobby of the Wildwood Inn. They had just finished dinner at a restaurant, The Stew Pot. Miss Campbell wanted a magazine from her room. About 8 o'clock in the evening, she caught the elevator to the second floor. That was the last time Godowski saw her alive. You guys, how is he doing this? I don't know. I'm how? never leaving my I have in my notes, I'm never leaving my house. I, know. I just, I don't understand. There's no witness. Like, I get that there's no cameras. I get that it's a different fine, time. Fine. But there's no witnesses. This is like the middle of the day. Yeah. I, whatever he said to them, he convinced them to go without a struggle. Whatever right. was yeah. said. And here's something terrifying. Anyone who's ever been in any relationship or just out with a friend ever, how many times have you said, ah, shit, I'll be right back. I'm going to go up and get something. Oh my God, I I'm know. I'm going to run to the room. I'm going to do this. Ah, let me just run to my car. I'll meet in there. Yep. She was never seen again. So now there's at least two other murders in Colorado. Julie Cunningham, Denise Averson. All of them vanished without witnesses Uh because this guy's a fucking magician. Yep. And now, thankfully, the cops from different states are realizing, hey, guys, circle the wagons. We got to start working together because obviously the same thing is happening over and over and over again. These are all connected. So now we're back in Utah in August 1975. We're back with Carol, the woman who like escaped Ted Bundy. Right, but they still haven't found her kidnapper yet. And she's like, girls, what is happening over there? I, I haven't left my house in a full year. I know. <laughs> so now in Utah, Ted gets pulled over at 2 a.m. for driving with his lights off. What a fucking dipshit. What an idiot. Son of Sam with the parking tickets, Al Capone with the tax evasion. I know. You guys, if you've kidnapped and murdered countless numbers of people. And sexually assaulted them. Don't break any driving rules. Yeah, get your taillight fixed. Right. Actually, fucking don't. I can't wait to catch all you dumb bitches. Don't. Let your let your insurance expire. Don't get the little sticker. However cars work, I don't know. So they have a little chase for themselves, and then he's eventually he eventually stops. Police found a brown gym bag in his car containing a ski mask, an ice pick, some strips of torn sheet. The items found in his vehicle were very suspicious. There was a pry bar pantyhose they were handcuffs he also matched the description of the individual that had attempted to kidnap carol durange so the investigation of ted bundy began in earnest so ted calls up the president of the mormon church right because he can right he tells him about this arrest and he's like really mad about it and the president of the mormon church is like that's not the ted i know which is suspicious and i'm like yes smart good job Carl. yes right it's weird that he's all ragey about a traffic violation right but here's something that I don't understand. So Ted's like, I have to go do a, a lineup for some weird kidnapping. Thing. I have the same question. We see Ted drives himself to his own lineup. And he had days to try to change his appearance. In what universe right. do you have time to alter your appearance for a lineup? In what universe do you drive yourself to your own lineup? Right. And they, they all know it's him. Yeah. But yeah. like they can't do anything. So they're trying to get, oh, he met this this guy with the traffic violation matches the description of Carol's kidnapper let's try it and see if we can get an identification so he's got you know five days to like completely change his appearance he had his hair cut off and he changed his part from one side to the other and he made himself look completely different so we had to scramble to get other people in the lineup to look like him at the time so happened the only people available were law enforcement officers so he thinks he's got it made in the right. shade. Meanwhile, Carol walks in. She's like, that one. Right. <laughs> they, they're like, Carol, we haven't even right. had, like, not no, everyone's in. And she's like, it's that one. It's him. Can I go now? Can I, you finally rest him? Am I allowed to leave my house for right. once? It's him. <laughs> you Moving the part to the other side. I know. This woman fought for her life and beat you senseless and left you on the side of the street. You think she's going to fall for a part in your hair? <laughs> Give me a break. That's the one whose ass I kicked. That him. Any, anything else you guys need? Let the women do the work. Let us do the work. And somewhere Detective Kathleen's like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And everyone in Utah, not law enforcement, but everyone like from Ted's church is like, nope. He just doesn't seem like the type. Um, I, you know that he like went to church with B from Abducted in Plain Sight. A hundred zillion percent. They were best friends at church. Absolutely. Giving ew, each other ew. handies and cars whenever ew. they have the opportunity. I mean, handies and cars, fine. Well, do you, but don't. <laughs> So they rally around him because he just doesn't seem like the murdering type. They're like drawing him cartoons and sending him cards. And I have in my notes, I was like, Carol is over this and so am I. I know. She's like, 
<laughs> because they're saying to Carol, like, just so, like, gaslighting. They're just like, are you sure it's him? I know. And she's like, did she's you getting... kick his ass or did I? <laughs> <laughs> Don't fucking come for me, Susan. She's... <laughs> he did it. She's getting stopped at the supermarket. She's getting stopped into restaurants. They're, like, like I don't bullying know, her. I know. Come on, can you Carol. Imagine? Just let it go. <laughs> He's so nice. Maybe he can get a date out of it. <laughs> Finally settled down, huh? Oh, my God. So now, February 23rd, 1976, the trial starts in Salt Lake. This is the trial for the kidnapping. For the kidnapping, yeah. He wanted to be involved. He looked up cases. He had ideas. He relished the fight. You guys, we see Ted giving an interview outside the courthouse. This is so bananas. This is Ted Bundy. Comma, serial killer. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yes, I intend to complete my legal education and become a lawyer and uh, be a damn good lawyer. Uh, I think things are going to work out. That's about all I can say. So Ted Bundy waives his right to a jury trial. Which I guess I didn't take government recently enough because I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Yeah, and he just leaves it up to the judge. So I'm like, wait, you don't want to charm the ladies on the, right, the jury? Right. Like, that's weird. It but, is weird. Um, so his defense lawyers are just like, look, our case is pretty strong. Carol wasn't a good witness. They, I don't understand. She, like, fingers him in the lineup in one second. She's saying that the defense attorneys are trying to confuse her. Yeah. What were the questions? You guys, he, like, tricked me into getting in the car, put handcuffs on me, and, and then I, I had to beat his ass. his ass in broad daylight. Yeah, what? What part of that don't you understand? All of this, him being free, like just being able to walk amongst us is just so insane to me. Right. And guess what? The judge is like, no, bitch, you totally did this. Like, are you kidding? Found the fuck Is it guilty. time for lunch yet? <laughs> God. So he gets sentenced to this kind of like term where it's like an indeterminate term. Yeah. He gets one to 15 years. So now keep in mind, he's only being charged with the kidnapping. Right. Because Carol is the witness. So they don't have enough to charge him with the murders just yet. So cut to October 21st, 1976. He's like visiting with one of his lawyers and the cops from Colorado walk in and serve him with a warrant for that lady that went missing from the hotel. Karen Campbell. He was uh, charged first degree uh, murder with premeditation, which would have carried at that time the death penalty. Utah allowed him to be extradited back to Colorado, which is very unusual. But the Colorado case involved a murder, so it was more serious. It was thought Bundy would fight extradition, but this morning he told a Utah judge he was ready to go to Colorado. Why did Ted decide to waive extradition? Well, he's confident that he can win in Colorado. Uh, he's confident he can go over there, stand trial, and win, and that's what he's going to do. And this is what his own lawyer is like. I didn't really like Ted. <laughs> Wasn't my favorite. <laughs> didn't talk about the case. Only talked about himself. I didn't like him. <laughs> it's just crazy. And then we hear Ted Bundy. Basically, he's describing how he's going to break out of jail. He Distance. was training for it. Exactly. I began jumping off the top bunk in my cell in the Garfield county jail, jumping again and again and again off the top bunk to the floor to strengthen my legs for the impact. I measured, mentally measured the distance from the corner of the courthouse to the alley and from the alley to the riverbed and from the riverbed to the mountain. And I, I measured myself and I ran those distances. I ran those distances again and again. And so here we are. We're, now we're at court. He's looking out the window of the courthouse. I hesitated. I cannot believe the thoughts flew through my mind. The windows are open and the fresh air is blowing through and the the sky was blue. And I said, I'm ready to go. I'm going to walk the window and jump out. (laughs) He jumps out the second story window, poof, like a thief in the night. He's gone. And that's how it ends. I'm so fascinated. I'm fascinated by it. I'm 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 hard like I said, rage crying earlier today watching that third episode. It's frustrating. It's like how? I need to get to the bottom of it. I must know. You guys, we're gonna do parts two and three next week. Yes. Also, you guys, once again, thank you for the iTunes reviews. Please keep them coming. Do yeah. it right now while you're thinking about it. Yeah. Tell the world why they should listen to our show. And that. we really love it. it. It is one of the things that makes doing this even more fun to like see what you guys love about it. Yes, exactly. So thank you. Thank you so much. You guys come see us live in <gasps> June. Uh, we're doing our Pride Show June 29th. Yep. Uh, get your tickets by the end of April and then we're going to email everybody who bought tickets and as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I'm doing Pride tours. Yes. I'm going to do little tours of the village uh, on the Saturday of the show and if you want to come, we're going to try to make it happen. If you guys have been having FOMO because you didn't get to come to our last show in New York City, this is the only show we have tickets on sale for right now. Everything yeah. else is sold out, you guys. Oh my God. Come hang at the Pride show. It's going to be incredible. Well, well have a time we'll have a time lastly you guys check out the patreon <gasps> full episode by episode coverage of the staircase of making a murderer of serial season one the, the jinx. jinx all of our bonus content it's a full other podcast five bucks a month you get everything right away everything right away girl where can they find us 
at True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter, at True Crime Obsessed Podcast on the Instagram. You guys, I'm on the Instagram constantly. I'm doing stories constantly. I, know. I, I jump in from time to time. You do. I your stories are great, your too. <laughs> Follow us, you guys. I'm having the best time on the Instagram. Yeah, and TrueCrimeObsessed.com is basically for all of your True Crime Obsessed needs. Episodes, calendar, promo codes, merch. I don't know what the palette cleanser is going to be. We'll figure it out we'll when we get there. We'll figure it out. I'll put it in the show notes. No pressure. Love you guys. Love you. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. It's snowing outside and it's negative four degrees. You need somebody to tell you it's a good day for skiing? Yeah. Well, you don't know the conditions. <laughs> I certainly the, don't. What are the various conditions? Snow. Not snow. <laughs> Powder. Ice. I don't know. And then I'm so glad I was pre-warned to not call him handsome. Because the look on your face, you're not here for that I'm shit. I'm not. I'm not. I know. He also says, when I met Marlon, I was attracted to him because his wife could cook good sushi. <laughs> we also find out that during this campaign, Ted got laid for the first time. Yeah, in Walla Walla. Okay. Ooh, that's a real place. His car was a Volkswagen Beagle. Yeah. Not a Beagle. That's a dog. <laughs> Sit down and go to bed. I go know. to sleep and I stop know. killing people. <laughs> that's another t-shirt. Go to sleep and <laughs> stop killing stop. people. Remember how OJ wrote a book called If I Did It? If I Did It. Yeah, you did. A fiction. You did. You did. You did. You did it. OJ's guilty. He's guilty. He's guilty. If you trust in your soul, keep your eyes on the goal, then the prize you won't fail, that's your your grail so be strong keep right on to the end of your song do not fail find your grail find your grail find your Find your grail Find your grail